The Chosen Families Project, where everybody is welcome. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the next episode of The Chosen Families Project. My name is Julian Rebello, and I got another exciting story to tell you guys today. So this episode is called On a First Name Basis with Christmas Wishes, Edmund Quincy Haggard's Story. So this photograph, like the one before, was found in a photo lot that I bought recently. And unlike many of the other photographs I've recovered, so when I look for photographs, my process is kind of looking based on if they have full names or full dates or things of that nature. Now, for this one was really interesting. I thought the portrait itself was really, like, nice in general. It was really well done, especially of the guy himself. And, you know, it's sometimes with limited information, oftentimes I kind of avoid certain photographs based on that. And the front of the photograph provided the had the first clue when it, so this is just looking at the photograph itself so it was taken in Stockenberg studio in Salina Kansas so th- that's my first clue because the back of the photograph which I'll get into in just a little bit had some other information but it was really somewhat limited so it what I found so what I always do especially if they have the photo studio is I actually try to research the photo studio itself because that gives a better timeline and also places this photograph during like a time period in history. And the studio was of L.A. Stockenberg and he was a photographer in Selena from 1897 till around 1913. So that was my like first clue and it kind of gave like an approximate range that the photograph was taken sometime in the early 1900s. So now the on the back of the photograph is where what intrigued me more so it gave the man the first name of the man who was in the portrait and his name was ted the message actually on the back of the photograph reads merry xmas to grandma from ted and it's actually dated too which actually really helps and it's dated 12 25 1901 so this put ted in selena kansas at least in 1901 when the photograph was taken so that's the first thing you can kind of derive when looking at this photograph that at least he was in Selena at 1901. And because the photograph was addressed to his grandmother, it also gave another clue and that his grandmother, whoever of whoever Ted it was, had to at least be alive by December 25th, 1901 for him to give the photograph to her. However, though, I was kind of a little bit fearful and hesitant to actually continue with the research of this process, especially with first name basis, because sometimes without any information it can be really hard and he's seen in itself he appears to be in his like early to mid 20s and he's in like a handsome suit and tie and that's pretty much all i could go off of but that's where my search started so this one was heavily research based because i had to figure out who uh ted was so what i did was for the my research process was i used the first name ted and an approximate birth year of 1880, plus or minus 10 years. And I also felt that Selena, Kansas, was like a unique enough town that maybe with that time period, I figured maybe there wouldn't be as many Ted's specifically. You know, with genealogy, it can sometimes making these estimations can lead you down the wrong path. You have to be really careful sometimes when deciphering and putting together this information. I've seen, I have a lot of relatives from New York City, 
And a lot of the times they'll actually have pretty similar surnames, first names, and approximate birth dates if you try to base it off that. And I've actually added someone who is incorrect to a tree and I've seen it um, happen time and time again where they happen to be almost literally the same exact person with one or two varying uh, like situations like where the wife might have a different name or things like that or they might have like similar names like Marie and Mary and it might be two Josephs and you got to figure out which one is the right one so it's kind of figuring out that piece of a puzzle so one of the first uh, people that came up when I put in all these different like requirements was Edmund Quincy Haggart and in the profile that I found he actually went by the nickname Ted and that was listed in the family tree that I found as well and he lived in Selena during that time period. Most of his family originated from the area as well. So it seemed pretty reasonable to maybe look into him further because you would think amongst his family especially he would go use the nickname Ted especially if that was listed on his uh, family tree profile. And one of the best things in this type of work sometimes and it's really it can be rare especially with found photographs is having a comparison photograph especially if this might be the original because if I really didn't have the comparison I might have not even reached out in the first place and so this family tree happened to have a photograph to compare it to for Edmund and I initially noticed there was a lot of strong similarities so the photograph itself I have um, both on my blog the one that I found and then the one that was featured on the family tree and I gave credit to the relative that posted it. It actually matched up pretty similarly but the photograph was taken when Edmund or in this case so when I looked at the individual on the tree he was about maybe five ten years younger in the photograph but the, the one on the tree was also taken in Selena as well. So the approximate age matched up so you know, as I was going through, I tried to tick as many boxes as possible. So Edmund was born in 1879. So around if if this was him, he would have been around 22 when the photograph was taken, which matched his appearance. I had to the one thing I did know, the one piece of information I did know that I could confirm to actually rule this individual out was that uh, his grandmother had to be alive, like or he had at least one grandmother living in 1901. So I went to the family tree, which was really well-researched and well-done. It actually had uh, photographs for generations after Ted or Edmund. If I, I'm going to be going forward, I'm going to be using those names kind of interchangeably. They had a lot of amazing portraits and photographs of all the different family members. And it was so well-documented and so well-detailed. It was a one of a really fine family tree, that I one of the best that I've seen in terms of this type of research. What I found was that he actually had lost all of his grandparents by 1901, except the grandmother on his mo uh, mother's side. And his grandmother was Mary E. Quincy, or and she had the maiden name of Stone. She was born in 1820 and died in 1907. So this actually makes she would have died after the photograph was taken, which was perfect. And she was also the only grandmother alive in the family. The rest of his grandparents and grandmothers had died prior to 1900. And so I took the idea of the common nickname being used within the realm of his family, and I thought it would make sense to label he would use the nickname Ted on, his, on the photograph, especially if he was giving it to his grandmother. And the photograph that was posted on the tree, there was actually, a, I think, one or two posted with the, on the family tree itself noted Ted instead of Edmund. So he went by that name pretty commonly in it during his lifetime. So this is when I made the decision to actually reach out to the relative because of all these similarities. And 
you know, I didn't have a confirming piece of information. There was no full name. There was no full birth date. There was no things like that. And this relative actually got me uh, back to me pretty quickly. And, you know, what I in the process, what I do for this project itself is I especially on um, whether it be most of the time it's on ancestry where I locate the possible relatives, whether distant or not. And what I'll do is actually I'll exchange the digital copies with them first. That way I have a digital copy on file and then they can also confirm that it's their family. And what I after going back and forth with the relative, they noted that it was most likely him. So here is Edmund's story after a quick break. So I'm going to just tell you Edmund's story. So Edmund was born July 28, 1879 in Salina, Kansas, to parents Alexander Haggart, who was born in 1846 and died in 1919, and Lucia E. Quincy. She was born in 1851 and died in 1905. So Alexander, his father, worked as a farmer and a merchant, according to census records, and his mother, which was pretty common at the time, was a homemaker, uh, Lucia. And she was listed... so. What I found curious um, when I was looking at the family tree's census records was that uh, Lucia was listed as widowed in the census, although her husband was still alive. And these type of, I wouldn't even say discrepancies, but these kind of notations you have to keep out for because not, I mean, what you'll find in genealogy, a lot of families aren't as cut and dry as you may think. So I decided to dig a little further and check marriage record records to see what was behind this discrepancy that I found when I was doing my research for Edmund. And what I found was that Edmund's father actually got married to a woman by the name of Eleanor J. Vincent on June 11th, 1896. He was, so Edmund's father, Alexander, was 48 and Eleanor was only 20. And so for reference, she was born in 1876 and would place her at just being a little as three years older than Edmund. And at the time of the marriage, Edmund was just 17. And so I also checked the 1900 census for uh, for Alexander. And it showed, well, Alex, his father. And it showed that him and Eleanor had been married for four years. So this confirms with the marriage certificate that I found in Kansas. And then also another cool notation to note um, between the census records is to see, especially with second marriages, is M2. An M2 is a notation that means that they're on their second marriage, usually, or on a multiple marriage. And it was just something, it's just something to keep in mind. And it, so it helped kind of, you know, dig part of that puzzle that I was kind of curious about. And like I mentioned before, because genealogy isn't as cut and dry, confirming and clarifying all these type of scenarios is key to understanding any type of situation. Because you have to keep in mind that, you know, family and people are people and, you know, all possibilities are available out there. So for Edmund in the 1900 census, he is a lodger and he's actually going by Ted Haggart as well. And he's listed as a good salesman. November 9th, 1904, he married Minnie Caroline Northstein. She was born in 1881 and died in 1948. And Edmund would actually live in Selena his whole life. And according to the record, the census records from the 1920s and 1930s, he worked as a merchant for a clothing store. And his... World War One draft card also listed him as being a clothing merchant. 
as self-employed. So I decided to see what his store was if he was self-employed. And a lot of different city directories that I found from Selena state that he owned a clothing store and it was actually called Haggart Gawthorpe Clothing Co. And his partner was Cyrus H. Gawthrop. The store is described as selling clothing, hats, shoes, and furnishing goods. And the slogan for the store was Styles That Please. And so I found some advertisements into the store, and these were listed actually after his death from 1948. And so the store, I guess, was still going on even after he passed. And it's just a, a more of a physical description of Edmund as he was seen in the photograph. Well, this is so this so this would have been around 16, 17 years later, but it still gives a good fitting description for him after the photograph was taken. He's described as being five, um, five, five and a half inches, stocky build with gray eyes and dirty brown hair. And if you look at the photograph, um, his eyes do appear a little lighter. So it does seem to match the description of the portrait taken. So uh, later on in life, so Ted would end up having five children with his wife. His first daughter is named Lucia. She was born in 1906 and died in 1997, so just two years after they got married. Dorothy, she was born in 1908 and actually passed away sadly in 1908, So she, which was common at the time to lose um, infants, infants. A son named Raymond, he was born in 1910 and died in 1982. Marjorie, um, she died in 1994 and Bernice who was born in 1916 and died in 1974 so then um towards Edmund would pass away at the age of 64 in Selena on January 20th 1944 and his wife Minnie would pass away at the age of 68 on October 9th 1948 and the family is buried together in a plot in Gypsum Hill Cemetery which is also located in Selena and at this moment, I couldn't locate um, an obituary record for Edmund. I tried looking. I didn't come across anything. But I did find what his headstone looked like. And it's I posted that in the blog from Gypsum Hill Cemetery. So I also wanted to talk about his grandmother that he wished, uh, wished Merry Christmas to. And talk about her just a little bit. Because she was, um, at, the at the time, like I said, the only grandmother that he had still alive on both sides of his family she would her name was like as i mentioned before mary e quincy with the maiden name of stone she was born in vermont on the 31st december 1820 and she would marry benjamin edmund quincy on the 14th of september 1856 in highgate vermont so during the 1860s and 70s they actually lived in wisconsin according to some census records and then it seemed I was trying to figure this out because there was a couple records here and there that were a little off, especially given the time. She actually moved to Selena later in life, which is a very curious place. And I mean, I guess during that time period, it was pretty common with the Western migration and that whole idea for eventually for people to move out towards the middle of the United States, especially from Vermont to Wisconsin and then Kansas. So she would passed away on February 3rd, 1907, and her headstone listed that she was 86 years old, one month, and three days old. And Mary's name is listed on a tombstone with other family members in Block 7, Lot 25 of Gypsum Hill Cemetery. However, though, what the finder grave notes is that her actual burial location, along with her husband Edmunds, is in the Hillcrest Mausoleum, according to, like I said, according to 
the individual who posted the memorial on find a grave what's also really cool when you do the family research history research is finding i guess the commonalities in the names of the family trees and so we saw before edmund named his first daughter after his mother lucia and that edmund took his grandfather's name as well of who is edmund well the first two actually edmund quincy and i put up uh, mary's photograph on my blog as well it's a really beautiful portrait of her from in like the traditional attire of her time period during the late 1860s early 1870s she appears a little bit younger too but it's a really beautiful they he actually had some amazing portraits on there for like i said it was a very well done family tree for this relative and what i thought was curious was because edmund was such a homebody of selena he never seemed to leave the town and that's what that's why it's always trying to figure out why these photographs eventually end up where i live is always a curiosity for me because if they had relatives living local like in the new jersey or tri-state vicinity it would be very interesting to me because that would make more sense but the fact that the portrait came from can't all the way from kansas you know figuring out its trail back all the way to new jersey is always something that i consider or just where any of these photographs were from like how the photograph from tokyo ended up in that store again something kind of crazy to think about now i was looking for connections to the area i found that his father had some origins from new york his mother's side was from vermont but i'm glad that i actually was the one to be respond uh to find the photograph in the first place and I've got some great news too. I am communicating with the relative and I am working with them right now to actually return it to them. One of the hardest things I think is finding very immediate family. But to me, as long as some family member who appreciates genealogy would love the photograph, I would love for it to get back to their proper homes and return to their loved ones. But for now, any of these individuals are part of my chosen family as I've done before. And, you know, I'm so excited to be able to get another photograph back to their families. Cause it's a really beautiful photograph too. It's really high quality. Sometimes the portraits and stuff that I recover, not that they're in rough shape, but the quality, especially given that some of them were over a hundred years old, like this one, it really, you know, is kind of mind boggling. And just to conclude, I love to see how much I can stretch the bounds of my research, even with such limited information. I only had that his grandma was alive and his name is Ted. But, you know, you have to, when you pay attention to the little details and look at the date and look at the name of the photographer and the location, it starts adding more to the area. And then over time as I've gotten better and honestly it's a combination especially for this one between being a you know using the right research parameters and having people that have their records and their research developed because this could have been someone that flew under the radar and I might have passed by but I'm so fortunate that I was able to actually find a relative and have them confirm with me that this is likely their relative and you know i was with all these different context clues it's just amazing that i was able to provide the identity back to someone 
who left a Christmas gift to their his grandmother over 120 years ago. And, you know, realizing, I think when I realize how far gone these people are in history and how these portraits actually survived for such a long time and ended up in these sh- shops instead of their families, I can understand that. But I also want to make it a huge goal to be able to, if the, especially if they've sustained time for so long that they deserve to be back with their loved ones or family members who will actually appreciate them. One more thing to note, I've noticed like as time goes on and I've kind of been talking about this project to people in public, especially when I'm buying these photographs and explaining why I have them, they're always amazed and actually it starts really amazing conversations. So I, I'm oh, so, so excited to see where this goes, especially in the future. Just today, actually, I was able to talk to a man about his family and it started this amazing conversation about, you know, finding records and things like that from Italy. So that was exciting. And I think that's the most important thing is starting a dialogue. And when you realize how important to some people uh, family and genealogy can be, it's important to understand why I do this work in the first place. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of The Chosen Families Project. Next week, I'm actually talking about some other photos that I found, and hopefully I can bring on some guests soon. I had a recent yard sale expedition today. I also did some other shopping, and I was able to get even more photographs. So I'm excited to be able to test the bounds of my research again, and hopefully be able to return more photographs to their loved ones. If you have any questions or you know, if you're actually related to the family as well, I would love to hear your comments. And so you can contact me at the chosen families project at gmail.com. Remember that you are loved and you're always welcome here. Take care. Bye.